Welcome to the Confessionalist Podcast. Today's discussion is about who the confessionalists are and why you should be one. I'm Raymond Simmons, and this is episode one. appreciate you taking the time to listen. As we start this ministry, my hope and prayer is that this will be something that we do together. That's, uh, that's why confessionalist is plural. The more, the better. All right, so what is confessionalism? What does this mean? The term confessionalism is used in various ways, but the way I'm using it, and I think it's the official use of the term, it's this. Confessionalism is the theological practice of officially, publicly confessing Jesus Christ as Lord in the societal arena. So it's the practice of confessing the Lordship of Christ and thereby covenanting with Him as a society. In this way, we recognize His comprehensive reign. Now, this is typically done through representative heads of family, church, and state. So there's some type of assembly, some type of coordination for family, church, and state heads to come together and confess societal sins ask forgiveness, and commit to obeying Jesus' commands. This is how a society taps into God's grace as a society. Now, you may already have some of these beliefs, especially if you're coming from a a Reformed perspective. If you believe that Jesus is a mediatorial king, so that he owns the nations and he's currently reigning now, and that uh, God crafted human civilization in a prescriptive way, In other words, he created institutions, the family, the church, and the civil magistrate. And all of these have specific roles, jurisdictional limits, and directions on how to function in that capacity and so forth. So if you believe that, and if you believe that God commands representative heads of all of these institutions to confess him today, you might be a confessionalist. In fact, you are a confessionalist. That's, that's what the definition is. All of society responding to God, uh, repenting, confessing, and covenanting with him. Once that's done, then they remove curses and secure blessings and can have societal success if they stay true to the covenant. Now, I think that social confessionalism is really helpful in that it is a good expression of God's view of us. How does God see us versus how do we see ourselves? Those those two things are not always the same. We tend to think of ourselves in terms of individuals and family and as the church. Uh, we do know that we are in a nation and that we are responsible for that, but that's not the way we typically think of ourselves. God also thinks of us as individuals and families in the church, but he also thinks of us in a societal way. He sees societies holistically. Um, let's take a town, for example, Canyon, Texas. That's where I went to high school. It's a lovely little town about 10 miles south of Amarillo, Texas. How does God view Canyon, Texas? When he looks at Canyon, he sees all the individuals, families, and, and churches, but he also sees Canyon. He sees the town. And on an, uh, in an accountability sense, he holds the families, individuals, and churches accountable, but he also holds the town accountable in its role. 
So the Bible actually speaks a lot about this concept. It's not a minor um, theme of the Bible. The righteousness of nations is talked about a lot, and we see that in the Great Commission. Now, keep in mind today, uh, when, when we think of nations, we often think of great nation states. That's kind of where we live. But in the Bible, uh, nations were much smaller than today's nations. But th- that, the, the size really isn't important. It's whether there is a comprehensive institutional civilization in place. That's, that's the precondition for God to see a nation or a town holistically. Uh, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. And keep in mind that this is new covenant speak. This is a, a new covenant commandment. This is what he says. And whoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So Jesus sees cities. Again, cities in biblical times were mostly smaller. He sees Canyon, Texas as Canyon. Now there's a lot more to flesh out as far as how confessionalism relates to towns and counties. But for now, I just wanted us to see that God sees Canyon, Texas, and your town as a town in addition to the other ways he sees it. Now, this idea of all of society confessionalism seems antiquated to us today. We have a much more individualistic bent to us. But social confessionalism is practiced by the societies in the Bible. That's what we see. Moses was a confessionalist, and, and so was everyone that stood with him to the covenant in Exodus 19. Um, and in Joshua, in the beginning and the end, Joshua chapter 1 and 24, the people confessed God as a society. And the people under the good kings did, did this, under Jehoiada, Josiah, and Asa. Uh, the, the social confessions under Ezra and Nehemiah are very important uh, to us today, but those particularly... Because when these folks assembled to confess God, they did so as a subordinate society. Uh, They were in the midst of hostile regional governors, and they were under an overall pagan rule of Persia. So this is, is important for us today because we're also under a government that is not covenanted with God and is opposed more and more to Jesus's reign. And we're also surrounded regionally by a pluralistic autonomous culture that is opposed to Christianity. But back to Nehemiah, he, here's, here's what they did. After hearing the law read publicly and being convicted that they were not following God's ways, they confessed their societal sins, and we read this toward the end of the passage. This is in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. So they responded as a society. Here we have the church and the state representatives signing the covenant. And the family leaders did this too. Now, this was the normal practice in various forms and degrees of Reformed societies in the past during Christendom. Um, German towns during the Reformation did this sort of one by one. The Scottish Covenanters, of course, the Huguenots, and the early American settlements they all practiced social confessionalism. And, and, and when they did this, 
they were looking to biblical examples. They didn't just come up with this idea on their own. Most of them, when they did this, they did so in environments and under nations that were opposed to their allegiance to God's word. And and I I would say in all these situations, these historical accounts um, in Christendom, uh, they didn't just confess in spite of a hostile government. They confessed because of the hostile government. So it's a very similar situation to us today. Social confessionalism is important because we are entering a stage in history where some people need to start building civilization. And social confessionalism provides a way to do that with Christ's power and his blessing. Okay, so it's basically a a very good way, a biblical way for us to to move forward in building civilization. So a a lot of people today are talking about strategic withdrawal. Rod Dreher's Benedict Option, um, Gene Veith's book, Post-Christian, last year. These books, in my view, say what needed to be said, that we lost the culture war. Of course, that doesn't mean that Jesus' grand campaign has failed. We know that Christ is victorious uh, his, since his cross work and he's reigning. He's treading down all of his enemies. He, he will have worldwide victory, but in this particular battle, we lost the battle. When we do withdraw, it, it has to be according to the Bible. I'm hearing a lot of talk about um, pulling out and building community, and Dreyer's book is sort of along th- those lines. You know, I'm very thankful for Dreyer because people are starting to ask the question now, is it time to do the Benedict Option? And my answer is, yes, it's time, but I'd point to the practices of societies in the Bible and the Reformed societies in the way that they covenanted. Building community, just community, falls short in so many ways. What we really need to do is build civilization. And we need all three institutions. That's the way God designed it. And that's the way for the gospel to show its stuff and to have a beautiful society that makes nations jealous. Even the Reformed conferences lately that are trying to reassess our approach, none of them that I have heard are really speaking about the basic biblical historic practice of of all of society, confessionalism. And I I think, I could be wrong, but I think it's because of two reasons. First, people think that there's no way to put this into practice today. Uh, Depending upon where you are and and what you're talking about, I, I think there's some validity to that. Because you have to have Christians confessing. It can't just be the city getting together. Uh, God would not bless that. You need to have repentant um, um, Christians that are covenanting with the Lord. And, and we are greatly outnumbered. The second reason social confessionalism is not discussed, at least broadly, is that we don't see social confessionalism as a way of kingdom realization, but as a result of it. Okay, so we don't see it as something that comes at the beginning or along the way, but rather at the end. That's a subtle but critical difference. What I've discovered is that people don't understand that where you put something on a timeline is a strategic decision. It's probably the biggest strategic decision you'll make because strategy is about causality, what comes first. 
And the older Reformed view and the biblical view of confessionalism was that it was part of the gospel conquest, not a result of it. In other words, when the gospel came to a nation, the nation would repent. Take a, another look at the early sermons in Acts. It, they were not just calling for individual repentance. Uh, it, was, it, it was more than that. And the Great Commission has this national nature to it. This is why we see Constantine's conversion was, was much more than personal. It, it wasn't that Constantine had this idea to, to have a, a Christian empire. It, it was that the early gospel message contained the idea that nations would repent and they would cause others to be jealous. It's, it's, uh, it's biblical. And this is what we read about, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 4. So these two reasons that we don't see a way to put this into practice uh, realistically in a pluralistic society and that we don't see the necessity of it, well, those things keep social confessionalism on the back burner. But I challenge us to rethink both of those presuppositions. I think they're both wrong. I'll be making an argument as we go forward for a deliberate Christian settlement in a low population county to regain the structure that's required for blessings and not curses. I believe that the Bible provides this option, and I believe that our political structure of the county is very well suited for this. Uh, Rush Dooney said that the beauty of the American political system was that it was built at the county level. So my analysis is that you could actually um, move to a rural county with um, a group of dedicated people and, um, and within a couple of decades have a rural county that is confessing Jesus Christ as a society. We'll talk a lot more about that. I know that's a big topic. Um, but th- there is great benefits in starting over. The main thing I want us to see today is that any withdrawal needs to have a covenantal construct, and it cannot just be community. Local Christendom, I think, is a, is a good way to describe it. Christendom wasn't perfect, but it was altogether under Christ. And confessionalism is a, is a way to get that locally, and, and it should uh, underlie any strategic withdrawal that we do. A lot more things are coming to, to talk about. Um, I actually think today is a great day to be a Christian. I think the Lord is making a way for us to put into practice many of the things that we've learned. And so please uh, tune in. This week we'll be at the Fight, Laugh, Feast rally in South Dakota. Stop by if you're going. And uh, also visit our, our website. We've um, got it all there and uh, podcast newsletters coming. We've been working on this for quite some time, but now, only now is it, is it really um, launching. So there's still room to uh, get in on the ground floor here, and w- we want this to be a church-wide effort. So until next time, Psalm 6311, But the king shall rejoice in God, and everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. <laughs>